Super. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You well? Good. Thank you. Less. Thank you. A little bit of feedback. Love it. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Great to see Dave and Marion in the room uh, as well. Uh, wasn't uh, I think they, they cut their health holidays short pretty much to be here, which either means that they're very excited or very concerned. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's the latter. No, they're, uh, I know you guys are being flexible today and uh, great to see you and a great privilege to be back here uh, once again with you guys at Foundation Church. Really great fun to uh, recognize your f- familiar sort of top halves of your faces. Uh, it, is, it is great to see you. Um, so uh, yes, as, as we read there, we are uh, in Mark chapter 10. And uh, we're looking at this story that, uh, not necessarily actually in, in uh, this version, or in, in Mark's version, uh, but it's often known as, as the, the passage or the story of the rich young ruler. And it doesn't actually say in Mark that he was a young ruler, but we know that from uh, the other accounts of it. Um, and I want to, I, I suppose, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll, I'll give you my title and then I'll just say the angle that I want to come from. Because uh, there's a ton in this passage and um, I'll probably emphasize about there's I can say there's probably two big emphases you could go through in this and just for the sake of time I'll probably be able to hit one of them which means that whenever you get there in your series Dave can do the other half of it to be fair if he wants to because um, I know you're going through Mark but my, the, the, the title uh, that I have for, for this message is Jesus Alone um, Jesus Alone and uh, what the angle that I want to have the angle that I want to take is this question of um, how are we saved or how to be saved? Now, I'm guessing, right, as in most church contexts on most Sunday mornings, most of the people in the room, most of you guys are going to be believers. You're going to be Christians. You have committed your life to Christ at some point in the past. Now, you might not be. I don't know everyone in the room. I don't know everyone's story. And uh, uh, do you know what? If you're not, it is fantastic to have you with us and fantastic for you to, to be here. And... Um, I suppose the tendency, if I go, uh, we're going to talk about how to be saved, um, how to, uh, what, you know, what this salvation question is about. The tendency for Christians might be to think, well, look, that's a that's a question for people who don't know Jesus. That's you're going to do. That's, that's an evangelism thing. That's not a, a Christian thing. That's not necessarily for a, for a church context. Or if it is for a church context, it's for a special meeting that you'd bring people to that don't necessarily know Jesus. But, but I think actually looking at that, um, there's, there's a ton that it does for us. But one of the big things is that, that I think there's a, a lot of confusion often in that, even amongst Christians. And uh, let me highlight it this way. Um, here's a question for you. How do you know that you are saved? How do, how do you know that you genuinely are saved? Like, how do you know that? Because uh, I don't know, many of you probably, I was chatting with some of you guys uh, earlier on today, you, you grew up in a church context, right? You did. Uh, and some of you maybe didn't, some of you maybe, maybe you know, you grew up and you never had a church background. I grew up in a church context, right? And if you grew up in a church context, I'm guessing that throughout your time in that context, your childhood, you probably, quote unquote, got saved multiple times on that journey, right? You know, so uh, I know some people from a, a more hardline background than maybe I was and uh, I think they told me this story. It's definitely in my head. So I heard it somewhere, but I think it's a friend of mine. Uh, and they said that quite often they would do a puppet show for the kids on hell. And, you know, you'd, you'd have this little puppet show going on. And I was like, 
that's quite full on, you know. And they would regularly, you know, they'd pull that out at a special kids week every so often. And all the kids, of course, at the end of it, who wants to be a Christian? Yeah, they all put their hands up. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about hell. The Bible talks about it, so I'm not saying that that's, that's wrong uh, necessarily. But that's, that's certainly, um, you know, that, that's some people's church experience. Uh, for me, it was a little bit different. We grew up in a context where you have, you know, special services, uh, weekends, retreats, and at the end of it, about half of the young people would invite the youth pastor into their hearts. You know, like it was that was that was what would happen, and you'd do it over and over again. You know, like over. Uh, who wants to get saved? Yep, me. Once again, me. And I know because I did that, right? So if you're here and that's your experience, do, do you know what? That's not uncommon. Um. And don't get me wrong, like God does work through that. Like some people, I would say a lot of people have a genuine meeting, a genuine salvation experience on maybe one of those, or maybe those are different parts of their journey that are maybe slightly misinterpreted or whatever it might be. But God, like God saves through anything. He is a savior. He's a saving God. And so I'm not going to go, oh, that's, that's like not, not necessarily a good thing. Like God can absolutely save through that. But at the same time, if you grew up in a church context, um, you will know people who raised their hand or prayed a prayer or whatever it might be. And like before they left the room, it was clear that that wasn't like a genuine saving moment. That wasn't a real saving faith moment. It was maybe some emotions or maybe it was pray to prayer, maybe it was peer pressure, whatever it might be. But like it just did not stick, it did not last, it wasn't real salvation. So if I ask the question today as it did, how do you know that you are saved? How do you know? What, what is it that you point to? What is it that you point to today? Because again, I'm not saying that this can't be the case. Um, but if you just point to like a prayer that you once prayed... There are a bunch of people who can point to a prayer that they once prayed, but even they themselves would go, yeah, I don't know Jesus today. I am not follow- I'm not a Christ follower at this point in my life. And they probably would, would admit that they, they never were. So, so if we're asking this question, how do you know that you're saved? That's a big question. It's also a big question because for many people as Christians, you can go through your life, and I, I'm pretty sure every one of us at some point, whether you have been or you will be, or you currently are, will go through a point where you'll go, hey, I'm not actually sure. Like, I'm not 100% sure. I don't have that sense of, like, assurance in my heart that I am saved. And by the way, you can be saved and not have that. Like, that you can definitely be someone who, who knows and loves and trusts in Jesus, but not have that certainty, not have that confidence. I would say a lot of people go through that early in their walks with God. Some people, it's later. There's a crisis. There's a point in life. Where, where they're asking that question. And some people, it's their entire Christian life. And they will go from salvation and they will end up with Jesus. But at no point along the journey in this life were they confident that they definitely were followers of Jesus. That they definitely had this eternal life. And, and that can be painful, right? I mean, that, that, if, if you've been there, you know that that can be like really challenging. Because you're going, look, I think I love Jesus. I think I'm following him. But yet I look at myself. I look at my heart. You know, I look at my attitudes. I see so much sin and so much muck and just so much of me and so little of Jesus. And I don't know if I truly know him. Like, I don't know that. 
And so if that's you, what, what I want to do is walk through this passage with that in mind and go, I think there's something in here that can help us today. Because Jesus is asked here in this question about how to be saved. That's really what he's asked, how to be saved. And um, whether you're someone who's heard this before or you haven't, um, I think we can all look at this and you can go, is, that, is what Jesus says here reflected in my life? Is that reflected in my life? And if it is, I think it can give us encouragement, confidence that you genuinely have that eternal life that Jesus speaks about. So, so, so let's get stuck in, just unpack the passage that we read there in Mark 10. So the, the first thing that happens is the ideal candidate for evangelism comes to Jesus, right? This is like a young, uh, important guy, and he comes in public, running up to Jesus in the street, gets on his knees in front of him and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And can you just imagine that happening to you? Can you imagine you're out in the street or you're, 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 we're, we're here today. Imagine we're in the room and someone came sprinting to the front and goes, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That, that is someone who, who comes across as like unbelievably hungry. That is the absolute dream if you are like a Christian. That is, that is you would be going, that is revival, okay? Boom. And, and, and it's not just any person. It's a young, influential person. That's awesome. He's rich. Think of the tides. Get him across the line, you know? Like, like that could be the tendency. This guy feels like the absolute ideal candidate. And if you were in a seminary and they had an evangelism class and you didn't get that person to commit there and then, they would fail you. And yet Jesus seems to interestingly fail with this guy. Now, it's my belief, not 100% on it, not building a doctrine on it, but I think this might actually well be Mark himself. Um, uh, and it might be that what Jesus did was absolutely right for him to later make a genuine commitment like that might well be the case but no, not by any means guaranteed it might be that this guy went away the rest of his life and never turned back uh, to, to Jesus at all but it's interesting what Jesus does here because what Jesus does is the first thing he does is he comes across as rather uh, abrasive or, or almost rude like, like it's a really harsh answer that Jesus seems to give. Jesus goes, because the guy comes up and goes, good teacher. And Jesus goes, who are you calling good? Who are you calling good? Uh, only God is good. Who are you calling good? Now that to us, when, at first reading, first glance that we look at, as we look at the passage, it's like, Jesus, like, that, that was just a greeting. That wasn't the question you were asked. Like, why, are you, why are you diverting into that subject? That feels like besides the point. What are you talking about? But actually, in the, where, where I want to get to with this and the, the half of the passage or the half of the emphasis that we could pull out of this that I want to look at is that this whole discussion that Jesus has with this man comes back to the core of what is goodness. What is goodness? Like, like when Jesus says, who are you calling good? it's not that Jesus is going, I'm not God, because that would be in total contradiction to everything else Jesus is saying. Jesus is rather throwing it back at the guy and going, what kind of goodness are we talking about here? Because that's the core of the discussion. That, that's what we want to get to. Um, you see, this guy seems to come up to Jesus, and as we see as the discussion progresses, he thinks that he's pretty good. He thinks he's a good guy. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good living. I am, I am a, a good person. By, and I bet you by most 
sort of objective uh, human standards, we would go, this guy is probably a relatively good guy. He doesn't seem like he's a scoundrel. He's not someone who, who we would necessarily go, he's, he's the worst kind of person in the world. He's not your classic tax collector, sinner person that we often see in scripture. He seems like a good guy. But yet the emphasis uh, and the assumption that this guy's coming with is that, you know, I'm pretty good. Jesus, you're, you're like a bit better than me. And what I want to know from you is how do I get to your level? Like, how, how, do, I, how do I go up to your kind of goodness? Because I'm accepting I'm not quite as good as you, but we're in the same sort of league here. That's, that's the kind of underlying message. He's, 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 he's following this, this line of thinking that's saying, do you know what? I can be as good as you. I can be as good as you are, Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is not go, I'm not God or I'm not good. He's going, you need to totally rethink your standard of goodness. You, you, you need to reconsider what you're saying good is. If you're coming to me and you're saying that your kind of goodness or any kind of goodness that you could get to could be a way into eternal life. Do you know what? That brings nothing to the table here. That does nothing when it comes to inheriting eternal life. You do not need your kind of goodness to be saved. You need God's kind of goodness. And so Jesus goes then on with this guy to unpack what that goodness would hypothetically look like. So he takes him to the Ten Commandments, which as we all know is kind of like that's God's sort of basic standard for life. And he goes to the second half of it. The Ten Commandments is basically split into two sections. The first four, that's about your relationship with God. And then the second section, that's really about your relationship with others. Obviously, God is in all of that. But, but there's, a, there's a, an, an easy categorization there. Um, and I think it goes to the second half just because it's that little bit more intuitive and obvious. You know, it, it's more practical either sins or goodness that we'd be talking about. Um, and uh, so Jesus walks him through it. He says, you know the Ten Commandments. Like, you know, you, know you, you, you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't commit adultery, you don't lie, etc. Um, interestingly, Jesus does make a couple of tweaks here. Uh, firstly, he changes do not covet to do not defraud. And he also puts honor your parents last, which is actually at the first commandment of that uh, second section. So I'm guessing this guy, whilst he was... Um, Broadly a good person probably had sins in those areas that Jesus was alluding towards. That seems to be, you know, reading up around this, Jesus is probably going, hey, you, you actually do have a couple of issues here that I'm highlighting. Uh, so so uh, he probably didn't honor his parents very well. He probably had some issue with defrauding. Um, he was, he was uh, a young ruler, he was an MLA, so maybe he had a, you know, a, a wood pellet burner at home and, you know, a renewable heating initiative that he was part of, perhaps, who knows? Um, uh, there's no MLAs in the room, by the way, that I'm aware of, so that's good. Um, but, but, you know, he's, he, 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 Jesus takes him there and he goes, look, there's, you need to look at this standard of goodness. And uh, this guy does what any good politician would do. He conducts a thorough internal review. He does. And, and surprisingly, as we all know, what? I'm great. Turns out I've done it all perfectly. I'm, I need to raise everybody. That's what this guy comes out saying. He goes, look, I, God's law, done it. I've done it, and I've done it the whole time. I've done it the whole time. Now, he, he's obviously wrong. He's obviously self-deceived. But, but nonetheless, I don't think he's lying here actively. I think he's, he's 
tricked himself into believing that he meets that standard of goodness. And so Jesus takes him further and goes right back to the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods. And he goes, okay, you want to prove it? Here's the idols that you have. It's your stuff. You lay that down and you follow me. That's the standard of goodness that you have to keep. And this guy goes, goodness, I'm in trouble now. And that's the end of the conversation. Jesus looks at him, loves him, says, you've got this idolatry issue with your stuff. You've got to lay that down and follow me. You want to do this in your goodness? That's, that's what you're going to have to do here. And the guy walks away. Jesus feels, as we would view it, at evangelizing this guy. He doesn't sign a card, doesn't walk an aisle, doesn't pray a prayer. He walks away. Now, my big point here, and as I said, there is a lot in this passage. We could go into like idolatry and we could talk about repentance and all of that. But my, my big point that, that I want to pull out from this, and that I think is one of the key points of this, is that Jesus emphasis in this conversation is to show this guy that you cannot save yourself you cannot save yourself there there's a a tendency in the world today something that i struggle with uh, to pull it into our context right um there's a sort of trend and i see it in the church i see it in the world and i think we're part of it and i'm not condemning you if you like these kind of things on insta or whatever but there's this sort of um self-affirmation quotes that we see a ton of, right? It's that I'm brave, I'm worthy, I'm strong. You know, those are super popular. You, you know the kind of ones that I'm talking about that are like hyper popular at the moment in the world. And, and, and you know, or, or it can be about your group, like women are this or men are this. And it's like, we are just good as we are. And it's devoid of attachment to Jesus. So it's not like in Christ I'm this or in him or because of his goodness. It's like, no, no, no. Me, as I am right now, you know, just in myself, I am great, you know. And like that is, that is something that we just see over and over and over again. And we see it in social media, see it in society. And I would say that that is becoming and moving into the gospel of our age. Like the gospel of our age is is that you are enough as you are. That you are enough. Maybe a while ago we had this, like what I would call maybe a gospel of self-improvement. Like I want to be popular, I want to be rich, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to accomplish that. There's still lots of people who follow that way of of living, don't get me wrong. But I think we're moving in from from a gospel of self-improvement to a gospel of self-affirmation. Where it's like, I don't even need to do anything. I don't even need to get better. I am enough. I am great. I am good. My feelings are good. My attitudes are good. I am designed, you know, or you are designed good, but, but I am inherently good as a human being. And everybody else just needs to accept that. And the only not good thing you can do is to say that something about someone else is not good. That's, that's like the gospel of our age is your own goodness, your innate goodness that you are good and you are enough. And Jesus says that we can't save ourselves. For me, that gospel of our age, it's kind of like we have, our, our, as uh, so earlier, Jack, uh, who's probably got, he didn't like the preach, so he left. Um, no, uh, he, he's nearly three. 
And to me, that idea of us proclaiming that to the world and to God, because it's all done in the sight of God, is like him coming up to me and going, look, Daddy, I've been having a good think about it. He doesn't talk like this. Uh, but, you know, I've been having a good think about it, and I've decided I'm going to take a car, going to take a job, going to move out, I'll send you some money every now and then. You've tried hard as a parent, but I've decided I've got it sorted, you know? Now, if he did that, I would, I, well, first thing I would ask is, what, what's your mother been saying to you? But secondly, I would go, kiddo, like, you can't even wipe your own rear end. You know, like, like your, your view of yourself is a little bit high here. Like, your, your self-assessment is not quite accurate, not quite consistent with, with the reality around you. Now, a couple of things. Firstly, the gap between him and me is way smaller than the gap between me and God. Like, that, that's the reality. That's, that's the gap that we're talking about here, and way more. And, and secondly, we can kind of laugh it off when a three-year-old does it, because they're three. But we're doing that as, as, as mature people, and we're going, hey, yeah, I'm enough as, as like adults. Like, that, that, it's, it's almost like vulgar, and, and it's just, just not accurate. It's just not, it's just not consistent with our reality but that is the gospel of our age you are good you do good everything you want is good you are good you're ultimately good and it is so far off the biblical view of mankind that jesus is bringing us to here the the, the hard truth that jesus confronts this man with because the bible is clear uh, and not just the Bible, the objective evidence is clear. Like there is no more scientifically verifiable fact than the sin of mankind. You just, that we prayed about it today. You know, what's happening in our world. Like, like it is just so true. And the Bible goes, you know what? Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good, not even one. Yeah, you know, we, we are all far short of that standard. The wages of sin is death, and we have all earned those wages. And the, the Bible shows us this practically in the Ten Commandments. And, and, and it shows us, that, I mean, how many of us could go, yeah, I've honored my parents perfectly? You're going to put your hand up and say you've done that? Have you done that this week? You know, or, or, or it takes us through even, we go to Jesus enhancing that and going, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just adultery, it's lust. It's not just murder, it's hatred. You know, like that's, that's the standard. The, 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 the reformers call this total depravity, which is, which is not that we are necessarily as bad as we ultimately could be, but it's that sin affects everything that we do. All of our motives are slightly flawed. Even me standing here right now in front of you, I, you know, if I examine my own heart before I walk in today, there's a part of me that just wants you to like me and enjoy it and say, good job. You know, that's, that's pride. That's what that is. Like, that, that is our reality. We are not good. And, and do you know what? Yes, that there is a truth in that you have been designed by God and you are uniquely created and fashioned in your mother's womb. Like, like you, are, there, you are a special snowflake. You are, like you are unique, but you're also a special snowflake in that you find unique ways to sin against the standard of God. That, that's the truth of scripture, and that's what Jesus is getting this man to. And it's interesting that this man, he leaves Jesus and he leaves Jesus disheartened. He, he doesn't leave Jesus with a bunch of inspirational quotes to put on social media. 
He doesn't leave with a pat on the back and go, oh, you're trying your best, you're great. Which, which is really concerning for us, because this guy's a pretty good guy. Like, like he, he, not perfect, but pretty good. And, and, and I, I think he genuinely was really trying to follow God's law. I don't think he was trying to, but I believe he was. But yet he leaves disheartened, which, which ultimately is like the right response if you're trying to save yourself and you meet the standard of God. If you come to God and you're going, here's what I have to offer, like, and you're trusting in that, your response whenever you really meet the Jesus in Scripture is to go, goodness, that's nowhere near enough. Like that, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to meet the standard of God. That's insufficient. Leaving this heart was progress for this man. Like it was, this wasn't, this wasn't him getting further. He was actually closer to salvation when he realized, I can't do it. I don't have enough. He came to Jesus with, not with trust in Jesus, but with trust in himself. And he maybe didn't leave fully trusting in Jesus, whether or not he did later. Another point. But he at least left not trusting in himself anymore, knowing that that was not going to do it, knowing that it was not going to be enough. I know in my own life, and I shared last time I was here, a little bit of my own journey and walk with Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home and uh, wandered from the faith as a teenager, as most teenagers do go through that sort of rebellious period. And um, I got confronted by God, uh, confronted over my sin by God, uh, in a way that was deeply uncomfortable for me, and led to, I don't know, maybe two, three months, maybe even longer, yeah, something, three, four months, of of wrestling with God and wrestling with my sin and recognizing this truth. I, I was, that was a disheartening period I was, you know, I mean, 16, I was going to run away from home. You know, that was, that was the solution that I was going in that direction. I was like, I, I just knew I couldn't stand before God like that. There was just this, I am insufficient to stand before him. I don't have enough. And, and you know, if you want to be saved, if you want to meet Jesus, you want this eternal life, the first thing that you have to do is you have to stop looking for it in yourself. And you have to look for it somewhere else. See, see this, this is a remarkable thing about Jesus. Jesus seems to have this very rough and direct and challenging response to, to what this man says. What do I have to do to be saved? What must I do? Jesus seems, seems to come across as challenging in that. But, but Jesus seems to, over and over and over again as we read the Gospels, be phenomenally compassionate and gracious and loving to anything that sounds remotely like, save me. Anything that sounds like, I can't do it, I have fallen, I recognize it, and so I'm asking you to do it for me. Like Jesus just pours out mercy, compassion, goodness, grace like that's what he does it's not that Jesus is wanting to crush people he's just wanting them to give up on doing it in themselves and turn to him you know what one of them is this hey I would like eternal life how can I help and the other one is I would like eternal life help me and it's different and how can you help you can't help you, you, you can't do that. You bring nothing to that table. You add nothing to that equation apart from your own sin. But if you ask me for help, I will save to the uttermost. 
I will save and I will save well. I know you can't do it and I love you anyway. I know you can't do it so I'm going to die for you anyway. I know you can't do it so I will save you anyway. That is what Jesus teaches this man. That is what Jesus is bringing this man to. So let me ask that question again. How are you saved? You are not saved because of anything you do. You are saved because of what Jesus does for you. Your goodness does not do it. His goodness does it for you. Jesus did not come to be a guru. Don't get me wrong. The teaching of Jesus is life transforming and we should follow it. But it is not to help us get to the standard necessary. It is not a spiritual boost to lift us up to his level. No, no. He came to fulfill that standard for us. He came to to fulfill that law for us. He did it for us. He lived the life for us. He died the death for us. He sacrificed himself for us. You do not earn it. You receive it. It is not a wage. It is a gift. It is not works. It is grace. It is not something you do. It is something he did. One great preacher said this. Christianity is not a doing religion. It is a done religion. It is an it is finished faith and walk with Jesus. And we trust him. We trust him entirely for our salvation. That's why I call this message Jesus alone. Because it is not your works plus the works of Jesus. It is Jesus alone that saves. It comes back to him. So bringing that back to our, our question of how do you know that you're saved? How, how do you know that you're saved? Well let me ask this question today. Where is your trust for salvation? Who, who do you trust? Who, who, who are you believing to save? Are, are you going to stand before God? Let's imagine that the whole pearly gates thing actually is like that in reality, which I don't believe it is. I don't think St. Peter's on the outside with a checklist, right? But imagine it was. And he goes, why do you get to come into glory? Why do you get to come into heaven? Do you go, well, look, I, I was a faithful church member. I, I didn't just go to church. I went to Foundation Church. Okay? Like if there's a church, you know, I, 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 I lived a good life. I, 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 didn't, I paid my taxes. I didn't steal. I, I was nice to people around me. I, I raised my kids as best I could. Here's my, here's, my, here's my list of what I did to inherit eternal life. If your trust is there, then, then that's where you ask questions. That's where you go, actually, have I, have I received it? Have I understood this? Have I grasped this? But, if, but if, if St. Peter asks you, don't believe he does, but if he did, and he goes, why do you get to come in? He goes, hey, I haven't done anything, but, but that guy, Jesus, in there, he did it for me. Have a word with him. Go chat to him. See, see what he says. See what he has done. I, I, I am not coming in here going, I have done enough to inherit this life. I am saying he has done en- enough to give this life for me. He has done it for me. Now it is absolutely life transforming. Don't get me wrong. This, the, like James, the, uh, the, 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 the author of the book of James, um, talks about how this faith is never alone. And Jesus goes on to talk about uh, this man uh, you know, in, in terms of laying down his stuff. I think that man would have genuinely had to do that. I don't think that's just a hypothetical. I think Jesus was calling him into a real walk and a real like, you know, laying down of, of, of his stuff, which was his idols in his case. 
By the way, do you have to give away all your stuff to follow Jesus? No. Much harder than that. Okay? Because you don't have to sacrifice someone else's idols. You sacrifice yours. Right? But nonetheless, that is all of that stuff, the fruit the, or the, the, you know, the life and the character and all that, that is the fruit of trust in Jesus. It is not the root. It comes out from it. The trust in Jesus, that is the thing that God plants. It's a work of God that is like planted in your heart. It puts trust in Jesus and it flows out into your life. But that is never where you place your trust. So, so if you go through a hard time, or you're in a hard time, and you're going, hey, hey do you know what, I, I, have, I have sin, I have issues, I have challenges, I, I'm really struggling with something. It's, it's not that you don't worry about it or you don't deal with it, you do something about it, but, but you go, I, I, I know that I don't trust in me. Think how freeing that is, by the way. Whenever you go, yeah, I, can, I, can, I don't have to pretend that I'm enough. I don't have to pretend that I'm sufficient. I don't have to lie about my sin. I can be honest about it and I can deal with it because my works are not what saves me. It is his work for me. So it is Jesus alone who saves. Jesus' work alone who saves. And that is how you can know if you're saved. Do you trust Jesus to save you? Not are you good enough, not are you earning it, not are you keeping it all up, not that, like we, don't get me wrong, I, I beg on holiness, but it comes back to where is your trust for salvation? Is it in him? And, and let me close with, with one final short thought here, which is this, you, you're going to place your trust for salvation somewhere. You, and we all do this, and, and whether we even put it in these terms, I think even the world does this. There's a, a version of salvation, whether that's what society should look like or your own life or whatever. And we have that as, as believers and, and believe that that is right standing before God. But everyone has a, a places their trust for their salvation, however they define it, rightly or wrongly, somewhere. And I just say that if you're going to put your trust somewhere, like there are very few people who have let you down more than yourself. Like, you are a bad place to put your trust for salvation. You, you know, no one lies to you more than you. No one lets you down more than you. No one drops your standards or fails to meet your standards more than you. You know that. But, but Jesus, Jesus deserves your trust. Jesus has earned the right to ask for your trust. Jesus has, has demonstrated his ability to, to to keep the law of God. He has demonstrated it in his life. He demonstrated it in his death for you. Totally sacrificial, self-giving. He demonstrated it in the resurrection when he rose from the, the dead. And everything he said was vindicated as true and right and absolutely glorious. And he has demonstrated it, I believe, in your life. Where he has shown himself to be faithful. He has shown himself to be present. He has given us his spirit. He has given us the body. He's given us his word. Like if there's anything you're going to put your trust in. Can I just say. You know you don't deserve it. But I can tell you. You know Jesus deserves it. Yes. If you know Jesus. You know that he deserves it. And so we put our trust in him. Because he deserves it. It is Jesus alone who saves. Who is good? Only God is good. And that is good news for us because it's not about your goodness. It's about his. And he is good. Why don't we pray and then I'll, I'll hand back over to Jacob.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you free us. Lord, you free us from trying to do it in ourselves because, Lord, we all know as we sit here today and standing here today as well, Lord, I acknowledge, look, I would never in a million years, in a million lifetimes, come close to your standard of goodness. And Lord, I thank you that you free us from that by being good for us and being good to us. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that that brings today. I thank you, Lord, that we can acknowledge that only you are good, but your goodness has not condemned us, it has saved us. And Lord, we worship you for it today. Lord, we lift you up. And Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for every person here. Lord, as we go out uh, from here today and into our weeks and the rest of our lives, God, Lord, that we would carry that message of your goodness which saves. Your goodness which saves us. Lord, that we would have that assurance that when we trust in you, you are able to save. That it is not what we do. It is what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.